0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector.
1: Before we start the show today, I want to tell you about an upcoming fundraising training I'm going to be attending. This live online workshop is called Seven Figure Fundraising, and it's all about growing major donor support. They go through the mindset you need for making seven figure asks and help you build your own donor pitch. Then they teach you a step-by-step system for growing existing major donor support and finding new major donors. The great thing about it is that this workshop is taught by a nonprofit CEO, so you're getting advice on what works today. The live online workshop is for one afternoon a week for three weeks. It starts on February 16th, and you can register at sevenfigurefundraising.com. I'm excited to be attending, and I've asked their team to extend a discount to all my listeners. All you have to do is use the code RAINMAKER at checkout for a 5% discount off your ticket. I encourage you to attend with me this live online seven-figure fundraising workshop starting on Feb 16. To sign up, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com and don't forget to use the code RAINMAKER for a 5% discount. Hi, welcome to the RAINMAKER Fundraising Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Olson, and I'm joined today by my co-host and partner in crime, Roy Jones. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. I'm so excited that uh, we are here today with Nancy Murphy. She is the founder and president of CSR Communications and the creator of Entrepreneurs Influence Lab. Such a cool name. Uh, her, her passion is helping leaders uh, of change within established organizations to influence and persuade uh, others so that they can realize their vision for change faster uh, with less frustration and less resistance. Uh, I'm gonna have to schedule a session privately with Nancy after this, just because of all the change that my organization's going. Hey, to I thought right I now. was first in line, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> get, get in line behind me, Roy. Uh, Nancy has worked uh, in the field of philanthropy for uh, Steve and Jean Case's Family Foundation. She's worked uh, as a federal government Program Officer with the Corporation for National Community Services, and as a consultant globally for APCO Worldwide, uh, where she designed and implemented sustainability, community engagement, and philanthropic strategies for uh, a number of companies, including um, UPS and Johnson Controls, and also with nonprofit organizations, including the W.K. Kellogg Foundation and E. Casey Foundation and I'm sure many others. She currently mentors and advises executives from uh, local governments, federal agencies, global nonprofits, uh, foundations, and even Fortune 100 companies. Uh, Nancy, welcome to the show. We're so grateful to have you here today.
0: Oh, I'm really excited for the conversation. Thanks for having me.
1: The last 12 months have just you know, forced an insane level of change upon organizations and leaders at a pace I don't think anybody could have prepared for. How have you seen leaders overcoming the fear and resistance to change uh, that's been thrown upon them during this pandemic time?
0: Yeah, well, I think there's kind of two um, general approaches that I've seen, and this will probably not surprise you guys, but one is that not all people are overcoming it, (laughs) right? So a lot of people are playing that waiting game, like, oh, as soon as... um, As soon as we go back to the office, as soon as the vaccine's available, as soon as the election's over, as soon as these protests settle down, well, if I can just wait for inauguration. So I'm seeing, you know, a lot of folks who are just kind of refusing to accept and respond appropriately. And then there's that other group of folks who see um, change as an opportunity and who are kind of, and I would put myself mostly in this school of thought, but people who are embracing this opportunity as, well, everything is in upheaval, right? The entire status quo is tossed out and things that we thought a year ago were impossible are seemingly possible. And so people are really, who have that mindset are really embracing that. And, you know, one way that that we really stepped into that moment that I think will be of interest to your listeners. Um, Last year was I partnered with a former Case Foundation colleague, uh, Kristen Campbell, who's now at Philanthropy for Active Civic Engagement, and we wrote a conversation starter called Crisis is Catalyst, which was really designed for philanthropy to reimagine what's next and to really take this moment and say, If you were willing to throw out ridiculous reporting requirements, or if you were willing to invest in general operating support for nonprofits in this time of crisis, why do you ever need to go back? You know, can you start having some different conversations about racial equity, about how you engage with communities? Um, So that, you know, I think that is how I see crisis is, can it be a catalyst for an opportunity to have some conversations now that everything is in upheaval?
2: Wow. You know, Nancy, one of the things uh, that I had to do, and I had just started to work with an organization called Eckert Connects. And all of their philanthropy was based upon events. And
1: right. then all of a sudden,
2: boom, you talk about a, a catalyst for change. Um, uh, you know we had to shift to direct response fundraising. we had to shift to digital fundraising, uh, really developing the online space. I mean these are all things that that we probably would not have done um, um, as quickly uh, if we didn't have to. You mention, and it just sends um, Chills down my spine. That those organizations that that don't change, that haven't made changes, that aren't adjusting, uh, what's going to happen to them? And and uh, what do you see for the future uh, for uh, for the industry as a whole? Get out your magic crystal ball. And, uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, the predictions. If only, if only I had that power. Um, well, you know, I do think first of all that. Even though I tend to be a little more open to change than, than most, um, I do want to empathize that this can be a really scary thing for a lot of people, and it's not easy. And, you know, one of my, my favorite um, kind of cartoons that I use a lot in presentations is this person standing at a podium, looking out at a, you know, speaking to a sea of, of listeners and asking the question, who wants change? And everybody's hands go up right? And then the next panel is, who wants to change? And it's crickets, right? No (laughs) hands go up. And so I think even for those of us who embrace the idea of change, we sometimes believe that that's because, well, I want the the end result, but that means everybody else is going to do things differently, right? I don't actually have to change. And so I think that, first of all, we should appreciate that this can be Challenging and that people are naturally inclined to resist and sort of hold on to that status quo. So, that said, for those organizations who can't figure out how to become the new type of organization that is still relevant, that still meets its mission, even if it has to do it very differently, that can still raise money to support its mission, even if they have to do it very differently, um, I think they're going to be either very miserable or totally left behind. I um, I was really struck by uh, a Jim Collins quote in a, a book I read this summer of his, um, Great By Choice, which is about organizations that have thrived in times of crisis. And he talked about the relative stability that we've enjoyed at least in the Western world, more developed countries for the last 70 or so years. Um, is a historical aberration. So most of us who are, you know, less than 70, younger than 70, aren't really used to what is a typical, more unstable period, and that that's what we're going back into right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the uncertainty and the chaos and the change that we've experienced in the last 10 months is not going to go away. And so again, organizations that can't figure out how to be agile, how to stay really close to the people they serve and meet the immediate needs that they have now, even if that is slightly different than what their typical mission is, and figure out how to raise funds and bring in partners to support that mission, even in unstable times, I think they are going to get left behind.
2: Wow. So so those charities that are kind of waiting for the pandemic to get over, yeah. uh, big trouble. Um, uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Wow.
1: You know, uh, another kind of really significant shift that that's going on right now, and I think when we, when we talk about change, at least when I have had conversations around it in the last couple of months, it's all been focused on the pandemic. But, it, you know, we, we can't overlook the fact that 2020 was also a year um, where we had significant uh, national conversation around uh, diversity and racial equity and inclusion and and that's all to your point you know not only is the pandemic not over neither is this right and and there there's a a continuing and I would I would argue at least in our space a growing conversation about DEI and its importance and what organizations can and should be doing around that and I'm, I'm curious for the the people that you're um, advising and and counseling uh, in this area and your clients, what are you hearing about how they are embracing or not embracing racial equity and, and inclusion? And what can the rest of us learn from that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think you know, not surprisingly, some just like in, in in any major social issue or area of change, some organizations are farther ahead. Some had crises, um, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> where they had to they had their reckoning maybe earlier than than some of the others. And you know, I would say in the the nonprofit and philanthropic space even in the more recent years immediately before 2020 um, there were some serious gender reckoning conversations mm. happening, right. Around sure. sexual harassment and, um, and worse um, discriminatory gender discrimination and kind of toxic workplace cultures for women. And so I, I sort of see this as an evolution rather than a revolution um, in terms of these conversations in in our sector anyway. Um, You know, the thing that where I think I tend to come into this conversation with my clients is when they realize or helping them realize that policy change is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And hiring a, you know, DEI lead or a chief diversity officer, creating that new role is helpful, Mm -hmm. but it's not enough. Making public commitments about racial equity or gender equity or diversity and inclusion overall are helpful, but not enough. What we're really talking about is that culture change, that those changing those hearts and minds. And that is really all about influence Mm -hmm. and persuasion. And how do we start from a place of empathy, understanding what makes change hard? the psychological triggers that make change hard, especially this kind of change, the common types of resistance and how we overcome them.
2: This whole concept of change, whether it's diversity, uh, whether it's uh, techniques that you're having to use um, in, in, in a pandemic environment, um, you know, there's cultural internal change, there's the external change of, your, uh, of, of, of the people that support you in the community, what are some of the basic steps of of negotiating this? Are there some rules that, that 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 we can apply to to a bunch of different situations with a lot of moving parts? Um, are there some common themes that we can that we can use, Nancy?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big question, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, first of all, I think sometimes, and, and and you didn't use this term, Roy, but I know it's um, very common. People think about and use the term change management. Mm -hmm. And I really prefer the term change leadership. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the big basics that I would say, first of all, if we, because language matters, right? Words matter. It conveys um, consciously and unconsciously uh, expectations. And when we talk about change management, it feels like, um and there is science behind a lot of this. Don't get me wrong, but it feels predictable, logical. There are stages you should be in this stage for this amount of time and then you move to like it's somehow putting controllability and predictability on something that is inevitably not. Interesting. And it kind of boils it down to if you just follow this checklist or these steps everything will be fine. And I think that misses the Mechanic it, it, by focusing on the mechanics, it kind of misses the bigger influence and persuasion picture, which is where the leadership really comes in. I'm so and sorry so, to hear
2: you say this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one,
0: two, three. Let's you, go. You just Let's wanted checklist. <laughs> <laughs> so I can give you some checklists, but uh, you know, that alone won't do it. So, you know, I would say in addition to kind of flipping the language and therefore the way we think about it the biggest one is start with yourself mm. so we can't control others behavior right we can only control our own we can control how we respond to change we can control how we show up as a leader so that we become the leader that others will follow being that credible leader of change we um we can Get curious, not furious. That's one of my mantras, you know, particularly for folks who maybe have had a change in their mind for a long time, you know, particularly fundraising folks who might say, oh, my gosh, I've been waiting for this moment to kind of, you know, mix up. The way we've been engaging donors, the way we've been raising money, getting away from big galas. And so in their heads, maybe for a year or longer, they've had these ideas and they go out and share them with the world, their colleagues, you know, and people are hearing them for the first time. And they're going to be confused. They're going to have some questions. They're going to maybe push back a little bit. And you know, we've fallen in love with this idea that's been going around in our heads for <laughs> months or years. And, and we sometimes get really frustrated by others not being right there with us. So you know, get curious, not furious, in in those times.
2: Wow. Um, what I hear you saying is, you have to be more of a of a navigator through change, yeah. not, not not a manager. Um, yeah
0: yeah. and 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 I think along those lines, like the last point I would make there is this idea of so I mentioned empathy a minute ago. And to me, one of the most powerful tools we have as leaders of change, especially, but leaders generally. And this goes back to your um, diversity and inclusion question, too, Andrew. It's this idea of perspective taking. So, and you know, fundraisers are very skilled at this generally, right? we We are good at taking the perspective of our donors, of our prospective donors so that we can position the um, investment opportunity, the partnership opportunity, the donation opportunity in a way that will resonate with them. Well, that is key for leading change? How can we understand the perspective of those whose behavior we're trying to change or whose mindsets we're trying to change? And what are their dreams and desires, fears and anxieties, motivations, and how can we meet them where they are and influence them to come along with us?
1: Mm. So, Nancy, one of the other things that we see, I'm sure you see this with the organizations you're working with as well, but one of the biggest challenges that that Uh, is also sort of being thrust upon all all of us, but particularly, um, I I feel like I see the struggle inside nonprofit organizations, is around data and technology and how fast those uh, two areas are advancing and how typically ill-equipped uh, from an infrastructure and often even from a talent perspective, uh, most nonprofits are uh, in those two areas. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if if you can share any kind of either common mistakes that you see leaders making around those or things that you see you know some of the best leaders uh, doing to to navigate those areas most successfully.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a great example of where. The people who typically lead those efforts, not necessarily inside the organizations, although sometimes that's the case. But you know, the consultants that we hire to come in sure. for our new database or our new app development or whatever, um, they get very focused on those mechanics, on the steps, and the it's the implementation of a change. Without understanding the context in which that change is happening, the human behavior change that needs to happen, and how do we influence people? How do we take the perspective of those who might never have used that kind of technology before or who have their own system for doing something and they don't want to? I remember when I was at Case Foundation and we adopted Salesforce and... (laughs) I mean, that, that was a really, really, and we were a small team, right? This wasn't a hundreds of people organization that we were talking about trying to get on board with this. Um, So I think it's being able to understand, you know, what, uh, again, what are people's dreams, desires? How does this technology or this data management or using data to make decisions, how does that help you achieve your dreams and desires? Don't underestimate the power of that in terms of resistance to adopting what it is you're trying to get people to adopt. So I think um, really not labeling people as Luddites (laughs) because they're not they don't want to go along with your technology. That's not helpful. Um, One of the most powerful tools. Um, That and I can give you some other examples of how fundraisers in particular have used this, but it's this idea of we tend to approach a a change like the one you were just sharing, Andrew, as here's what I need from you, right? Mm -hmm. I need from you to use this, I need for you to adopt this, I need for you to change your system, I need for you. And instead we should be asking, how can I help you get what you need? How can I help you get what you want? and then showing them how this technology, this data, this new process, whatever, will help them do that.
1: That's that's really insightful, you know, and uh, uh, one of the other things just in, in this area I hear all the time is if we adopt this new technology, do I become obsolete?
0: Yeah, right, right. that's a big fear, sure.
1: Yeah, you know, and particularly um, as organizations evolve um, and I'm sure Roy has dealt with this, you know, but, um, you know, from, say, an organization that's focused on event fundraising, moving into major gifts or, you know, uh, things yeah. like that, where the, the, the actual experience and talent that someone needs is different. Uh, so as kind of as a follow up, how, how do we help uh, organizational leaders navigate that conversation as well? Because I'm certain that in the majority of organizations, the goal is not, let's bring this new technology in so that we can get rid of 10 people, right? Talk a little bit about that if you can.
0: Yeah, well, I think first of all it's if we're intuitive enough and in touch enough and have the ability of that perspective taking down really well, then we might anticipate. I know some of you might be feeling anxious that this technology could replace you or that you'll you'll become obsolete or what if you aren't comfortable using it, does that mean we're going to push you out? You know, so you can and when, once you acknowledge that, you can sort of visibly watch, you know, people just go, oh, yeah, she gets me. Okay. All right. So now we can have a conversation about, is that really true? Are we trying to make some roles obsolete, but not necessarily people Mm -hmm. obsolete, right? So maybe there are things that you spend hours doing right now that you either don't love or maybe you like them fine but it's not the best use of your skills talents and abilities okay so if we could automate this piece or use some technology to make this piece more efficient, that might free up some time and energy and space to explore some other things over here or to, you know, maybe not have to work 12 hours a day or whatever it is, right? So, but it's, if we're not credible leaders, if we don't have that trust, if we don't have that perspective taking ability, we can't even have the conversation.
2: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. That's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's almost, it's, uh... Of course, I hate using this term with uh, what, what the world's going through now. A, you, you have to kind of inoculate yourself against <laughs> that uh, uh, the, the concerns that people are, are going to have. You got to kind of predict it and then and then uh, uh, pop that balloon so that so that uh, all all that hot air is gone and dispersed and and so that you can deal with the reality of where people are it is hard though isn't it to get people to embrace new skills new activities uh, uh but to your point uh, it should always be new things are not going to be like they were yesterday and that's that's been a hard thing for myself to learn because um, uh, candidly as a, a person that's been in philanthropy about 30 years um You know, we went through a a change, uh, pretty significant change, moving into direct response, and uh, in the 80s and 90s, you know, and then and then big data came our way, and it and things all changed again, and uh, and I really think this is the next big wave that's going to force permanent, um, force a different way for us to think about development, and we're we're all still kind of navigating that that uh, that path, that journey. Um,
0: yeah. And, you know, I think, Roy, the comment you just finished with there, we're all navigating that journey. You know, the thing that I think can be really helpful right now and that leaders can remind everyone is this is a global experience. Now, some of the other upheaval and changes that are that we're experiencing are, you know, unique to the U.S. in some ways. But this everyone is experiencing this. It's not like, hey, we're getting a new technology or we're gonna start using big data for decision-making. And some people are kind of freaked out by that and other people in the organization, it's not gonna change their role at all. We're all universally experiencing this. And so I think it's helpful to remind people, you're not in this alone. We're all processing this and how can we support each other in that? Right, and, and that is um, a, an unusual situation compared to many changes that we go through.
1: So how does, how does the leader entering into or attempting to lead through change uh, really galvanize her team around, you know, whether it's a manufactured change initiative or simply trying to survive uh, what's been thrust upon them um, you know how, how do you go from uh, being a, an individual trying to convince people to get on board and go in the same direction to to someone who really has kind of marshalled the entire organization or, or many of at least uh, to, to really pull in the same direction and and trust that the future will get better if you go through You know whatever pain of change might might need to exist.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I I think that's another big question that we spend six months or a year, you know, (laughs) just working with folks on. Um, So I so I'm not gonna punt it entirely, um, but I think there are some key um, characteristics, I guess, or some things that we focus on um in the lab and in my work with with individual clients. And, you know, part of that is again, how do I become a credible leader of change? So what do I, if I start by looking in the mirror? Um, what am I doing to establish, nurture, and sustain trust? What do I know about my own influence style? And we actually have a little quiz people can take to learn their default influence style. How do I want to round that out and complement that with the other influence styles so that I can be as effective as possible? What are my blind spots? You know, what do, what's my own attitude towards change and how is that aligned with or not with most people in my organization? Um, do I love the idea of change, but not like the idea of changing <laughs> right and And then we sort of move into that um curiosity characteristic. So how do we become curious in the face of resistance? How do I learn what's underneath resistance? Because resistance is not all bad in some ways, it's not bad at all. <laughs> um you know, if we think about like strength training, for example, or, you know, the football players who run or the track athletes who run with the the wind parachute behind them. Resistance makes us stronger. It makes our ideas better. It illuminates blind spots. So how do we get curious about the resistance? And then how do we learn to communicate with empathy in ways that meet people where they are with their understanding and awareness of the change that speaks to their dreams, desires, fears, anxieties, motivations? Um, How do we align all the parts of our organization with the change? So one of the things I teach, which is really fun um, around this idea of congruence, is identifying the artifacts, those little things we've left behind that tell people in our organization, nope, the old ways of doing things are actually what we value, or nope, this is how things really get done around here. Hmm. And so if we can go on a scavenger hunt and find those artifacts (laughs) that are misaligned with the change, or that confuse... I
2: buried a long time ago, I don't want to find... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Or those things that make it really, really hard for people to do what we want them to do, right? So one of the examples of organizations, a a lot of nonprofits I've worked with um, are like those international NGOs who are big government-funded organizations. (laughs) And at some point in their evolution, somebody gets an idea hey, what if we could start raising more money from individuals or have more corporate and philanthropic partnerships so we have more flexible money? And there's all sorts of resistance in organizations that are typically government supported in in doing that. But one of the things that, that we do immediately is let's go on the artifact. Let's go on the scavenger hunt and find all those things, like all of your policies, procedures, checklists, your your proposal development processes, all of those things are designed to serve one donor. And that one donor is very different than the kinds of donors you're trying to bring in, right? So those are huge artifacts that are gonna get in the way. And then really focusing on commitment. So that's sort of the last thing. What's your own commitment to this change? Are you going to be leading change? Like, are you going to be driving change like a New York City cab driver, right? Like gas, (laughs) brake, gas, brake, gas, brake. You know, that's confusing to people. So are you really committed to this change, to the pace? How can you understand others' commitment and secure it and grow it over time?
1: Oh, that's perfect. Nancy, this has been a a really insightful conversation. And I think uh, so timely, just given everything that's going on in the world. Thank you so much for being here. how can people reach out to you if they'd like to connect to learn more about what you're doing and, and get involved with you?
0: Yeah. So first, if folks are interested in downloading a free copy of that Crisis is Catalyst conversation starter, um, I think it's a great tool to use with your philanthropic partners, with your foundation and, and donor um, partners. And so you can download a copy of that at csrcommunications.com forward slash freebies. So if you go to our website on the freebies, it's the very top one there, there may be other tools that are of interest to people. Um, You can also book a call with me there, I would love to chat with folks, if anything I've shared is of interest to you, and you want to learn more, you can sign up for our newsletter there. Um, Follow me on LinkedIn, I'm very active there and share lots of great tips and and information. And um, if anyone's interested in our Diversion, uh, diversity and inclusion version of the lab that's starting later in 2021. Um, please uh, reach out to me via the website as well, and we can talk more about that.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. Really appreciate you being here.
2: Curious, not furious. That's what I learned today.
0: <laughs> do it, Roy. Do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Jen.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.